0: Hello, and welcome to MS5, Things They Don't Teach You in Medical School, hosted by Aisha Kulani and Swathi Brahman. Today's episode is called Hierarchy in Medical Training, and we have two special guests with us today. So introducing Dr. Baron
1: Lerner, formerly a professor of medicine at Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, Dr. Lerner is now an internist at NYU and has published many books dealing with aspects of bioethics, medical history, narrative medicine, and medical humanities. His writing appears in the New York
0: Times and other widely read venues, and his books have received significant attention. One of these articles in the New York Times was about the hospital hierarchy and how speaking up is hard to do, which is how we came into contact with Dr. Lerner. And he was nice enough to not only join us, but also have one of his students, Shailen Thomas, a sixth year MDJD student join us as well. So Dr. Lerner and Shailen, it's great to have you both here with us today.
2: Thank you for inviting us. Great to be here.
0: All right, so to start,
1: Dr. Lerner, there was a great quote from your article where you laid out the essence of this episode, basically, and the hospital hierarchy. And that quote states, on the top were the senior physicians who made rounds on the wards once or twice daily. Next were the overworked residents who essentially lived in the hospital while training. Last were the medical students who spent the most time with patients, but were the most assuredly at the bottom of the heap. What are your thoughts on this? And is there anything you would like to add to this picture of the hospital hierarchy?
2: Well, uh, I I was referring there to my training. So that was sort of circa the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So some things have changed there. Um, mostly the residents don't live in the hospital anymore, <laughs> so, <laughs> which, is a good, which is a good thing. Uh, but besides that, it's I think it's pretty true uh, that the attendings, uh, senior doctors are sort of there transiently, you know, for rounds, but aren't mm-hmm. really on the wards the whole time. The residents run the show, they're there. And then the students are in this interesting position of uh, being on the team uh, and caring for the patient on the one hand, but on the other hand, being students and there to learn. And so it does create some interesting situations if and when the students encounter something that makes them feel uncomfortable, just what Mm -hmm. can and should they do.
0: And in your book, The Good Doctor, you describe how as a student, you, because you're spending more time with the patients, you get more contact with them, you understand them more and often find little nuances in their diagnosis that other residents or higher-ups would not often find. So do you think that's still prevalent as much today?
2: Well, I'll let Shailen comment on that, but uh, (laughs) I I would say absolutely. I I think Mm -hmm. I see that in my in the outpatient setting where I practice now mostly when there are students here, they often have a big block of time and they can sit and talk to the patient. And just by dint of uh, spending so much time and listening carefully, they often find stuff that those of us who are sort of rushing to see a lot of patients may not discover. And sometimes it's crucial Mm -hmm. and something that others of us
0: have missed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Shailen, we'd love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, on no, that. that's definitely that's definitely the case. Uh, one of the sort of blessings and curses of being a medical student is that mm-hmm. you're never a hundred percent sure exactly what the most pertinent information is to get from the patient, and so mm-hmm. as a result, you end up gathering like a ton of information, <laughs> uh, some of which may be slightly less clinically relevant uh, than other details. But as a result, you do. Uh, get to know the patient very well, uh, in a way that, you know, a resident who's very strapped for time, who knows the exact mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, the exact questions to ask to to trace down the mm-hmm. differential diagnosis, they might not get cast such a wide net.
1: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Lerner, as someone who's gone through these different phases, um, what has been your personal experience, if you could share any stories or any anecdotes?
2: Um... Well, I think I have I have some in the book about um, certainly from student days, of um, of finding some stuff and uh, and uh, not quite knowing how to say you know what I found. So mm-hmm. what Shalem was talking about is you know you don't want to d- make everybody miserable by telling them five hundred things, but. And you also don't wanna, and I'm sure we're gonna get to this in a little while, you don't wanna step on people's toes. So one of the really interesting issues is what happens if you find something that seemingly contradicts something that someone else found or, or something you're already thinking. So that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges. Um, and and certainly when uh, when I have taught this, one thing that comes up a lot is if a student witnesses something in their, uh, on the wards or in the clinic, uh, mm-hmm. they think uh, is, was misleading. That, that, for example, the resident says something was done that the student thinks wasn't done. That's not mm-hmm. a not common scenario. The resident is busy. The student and resident are not necessarily with each other at all times. Mm-hmm. The resident says, oh, I did this, or I did that, or this is the result. And the student thinks, I don't think that's, True, that's a real dilemma, and I and mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear what Shailen thinks. But um, mm-hmm. that certainly, I think, comes up a lot. And then the student has that conundrum of, do I say something, and how do I say it?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that you know, as a student, you occupy this very uh, interesting space as both sort of like part of the team, but there to learn, uh, mm-hmm. and the residents. Are much more experienced. They know much more uh, than the medical students do about basically everything uh, in the hospital. <laughs> and so it can it can absolutely be be tough. I I can't think of any particular instance off the top of my head where you know a resident said something to uh, an attending that I thought was or or I thought that I knew for a fact was was false. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly I can imagine uh, you know, we're not, as Dr. Lerner said, we're not with the residents hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that people can look up patient charts on their phones. Um, you know, maybe the resident had said five minutes ago, oh, I haven't checked this thing yet, but I haven't seen them in two or three minutes. So maybe they checked it on their phone. Um, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. uncertainty sort of adds to the social pressure, making it very difficult to speak up because mm-hmm. you're never hundred percent sure that you're, that you're right. Um, right. So, you know, just to stick your neck out and say, you know, and to sort of contradict your, your senior um, mm-hmm. in a situation <laughs> yeah. where you very well could be completely wrong, thereby sort of embarrassing yourself, embarrassing the president, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, that can be a very difficult uh, social situation.
0: I think that's very interesting. I think especially what you're saying with um, like now you guys do things on the phone and stuff and like you can't necessarily always see like if they've done something the past two or three minutes that they said they were going to do or whatever. And I think I know I already, already have been able to see that through a few of my experiences. So what would you say or is there a way to go about that, like you said, without stepping on their toes or do you just you know, go with it and hope that it happened or hope that they got it done.
2: Well, I'll weigh in a little bit here. <clears throat> um, fir- first thing, um, and, and I'm not sure how much gets done at, at various schools. This, this is sort of thing is talked about more these days, I think, than it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. Now, students are expected to give feedback on the residents and residents give feedback on the attendings and It used to just be a one-way street where the senior people remarked on the younger people. So there's a there's an acknowledgement that everybody's behavior is being watched. Having said that, uh, the hierarchy thing is something you gotta pay attention to. And and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my my recommendation would would usually, although we could talk about what if it was an emergency, what would you do? But in a non-emergency. Uh, when I was teaching students this, I, I would always suggest that they go talk to the resident themselves, not announcing this on rounds and mm-hmm. sort of play dumb and say, hey, um, when you mentioned on rounds that you got that blood test before you we did the procedure, I was sort of surprised because I don't remember seeing the result, mm-hmm.
3: okay. which
2: is a hopefully politic way of saying, hey, I didn't say anything on rounds, but I'm concerned about this. Can
3: you reassure me?
1: Mm, gotcha. Okay. Okay.
3: Yeah. And I think residents are very, very receptive to that. I mean, I, I certainly not, not with any sort of ulterior motive, but definitely have said to residents, oh, hey, like I, I heard you mention that lab test came back. Do you remember what the results were? Just so I could write it down, like in my notes. So mm-hmm. I know what's going on with the patient. Uh, mm-hmm. That sort of thing happens all the time. In the hospital, so I don't think that would necessarily raise any alarm bells that you you necessarily thought the resident was uh, uh, doing anything sort of out of school.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was great hearing about your experiences, um, both of you. Thanks for sharing. Um, And now, kind of moving more into exploring this hospital hierarchy, Um, and this is kind of a question for both of you guys. But do you think the current hierarchy in teaching hospitals is a problem? And is patient care or training being compromised because of it?
2: Well, I, I think the hierarchy is inevitable. Um, I, I don't think it's unique to medicine. I mean, I think people are more experienced, they have more power, and there's people with less experience and less power. And the last thing you want to do is say everyone has equal power when they're not qualified. So the <laughs> hierarchy is here to stay. But but what I what I do... Urge always when I'm in these sorts of situations is for people to understand that it exists and to not and to acknowledge it and say, look, mm-hmm. there are very likely people below you uh, in experience or training or status who mm-hmm. can witness behaviors that you do that you think are perfectly fine, but they might feel are objectionable. And if someone has the courage to point that out, I say, good. And every single mm-hmm. person who gets this pointed out to them should not be defensive. They should respect the fact that the other person was willing to speak up and and mm-hmm. really consider carefully what was said, and even, even if they disagree. And mm-hmm. it's happened to me. I I behave sometimes not as good as I should. And, and sometimes <laughs> say things to me and, and I catch myself and I say, wow, that was cool that someone was willing to say that.
0: Mm-hmm. What makes the hierarchy in medicine unique from or similar to other dynamics in non-medical fields?
3: I mean, I can at least I'm say
2: sure, from not- you? Yeah, you? Yeah. But- here's our lawyer. Let's see. What
3: you're <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've, I've worked in a, in a few other fields over the years, uh, including at a law firm, Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that by and large, the the hierarchy and a lot of the negative sort of sequelae of it are not in any way unique to medicine. You see it across Mm -hmm. disciplines. And as Dr. Lerner was saying, it's at the end of the day, in any sort of structured organization, you're going to have people with more power and have people Mm -hmm. with less power. Um, I think what sort of makes it a little bit more acute in medicine is that uh, a lot of the trainees are directly evaluated by their superiors in ways that can have consequences for the next professional or academic. So for Mm -hmm. example, as medical students, we get directly evaluated by residents and attendings, and those evaluations not only go into our grade for the clerkship, Mm but they also get compiled into uh, letters that are sent to our, uh, to residencies that we apply to. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is, this, there is this unspoken concern that, and this is across all, I think all medical institutions, that if you, if you speak up in a way that makes life difficult for your resident or attending, you might get an evaluation that says, oh, this person was unprofessional or this person was difficult to work with. In a way that then, you know, to have that knock you down from getting honors in a clerkship to getting a high pass or a pass uh, Mm -hmm. or getting included into a letter sent with your residency application. Those can have sort of real tangible uh, consequences for our professional development as trainees. Um, So while I think the hierarchy and sort of the social pressure that it inevitably exerts on trainees is pretty universal in a medicine, just because of the way that it is this long training, where, you know, in order to get to the next step, you need a lot of mentors and stuff from from the previous step, it can at least feel a little bit more tangible and acute in the the medical Mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, certainly, at least it feels that way. Now, if you take a step back, is one attendings evaluation? really going to make or break your entire residency (laughs) application? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, Probably not. But, you know, in the moment when you're sitting there in the hospital, feeling like you're a medical student who doesn't know anything about anything, uh, it it certainly it can feel as though uh, it has tangible consequences.
0: That's a great perspective, especially since you have that from actual work experience in a non-medical field. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course.
2: I, I might add um, uh, that the uh, camaraderie issue, and I, I can't speak to this in other professions as as well. And I, I know, obviously, if you're a lawyer and you're on trial with a senior person and a junior person, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, bonding that goes on and stuff. But it probably doesn't reach the degree it does in medicine where you're rounding with someone, you know, as much as eight to 10 hours a day, or even mm-hmm. more for mm-hmm. five weeks, and you're the person and they're your student. Mm-hmm. It, and, and that's, you know, the, the bonding that goes on there, especially if people get along well, and that the residents doing so much for the person, that's a real deterrent, I think. to to speaking up because you sort of worship this person and you're Mm -hmm. grateful to them. And how do you then question them? I I think it's, it's gotta be particularly hard in medicine. I would think just because of that intense bonding experience.
1: Mm -hmm. And then where do like the non MD professionals, like the nurses, the PAs, where do they fit into this um, hierarchy and this
2: dynamic? Well, that's very interesting. Um, I'm glad, <laughs> you, uh, no, I, it's good. And I'm glad you mentioned it because so, so, so mm-hmm. often we are so insular that all we do is talk about ourselves. So it's a very good question and it has all to do with hierarchy. So doctors are king, king of the hill. It's not like it used to be. I mean, my dad was a doctor, that's what my book's about and he was really king of the hill. Uh, he like you know he walked on water and nobody said boo to him, but uh, it's not it's not quite like that anymore. But doctors still are deferred to and and revered uh, in my experience, which makes it even more difficult I think for folks who are nurses, PAs, MPs, P's uh, mm-hmm. work with doctors to be able to. Indicate discomfort with the doctor's behavior uh, mm-hmm. makes it very hard. There's sort of a, a and you know, it's it's got to be very difficult. And 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 add, throw in a, a possible gender issue here because I mean, obviously things are better today than they used to be, but um, you know, certainly nursing is still predominantly women. So it, mm-hmm. you know, if the doctor's a man, it's it may be very difficult. But I so I mm-hmm. what I alluded to before. Um, you know, my my uh, my main flaw, probably behavior-wise, is is a periodic temper tantrum when things don't <laughs> go well. And um, uh, you know, on on more than a few occasions, uh, someone's come up to me afterwards and said, "You know, Doctor Lerner, uh, I know you were frustrated, but you really shouldn't do shouldn't have done this and this." And it's been it it's never doctors. It's only, it's only other people who have the, Uh uh, who've said that to me. And I've always stopped and said, you know what? You're totally
3: right. And I appreciate your saying that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as a student, Shaylin, like what's been your experiences?
3: It's been pretty much universally positive. It's great as a Mm -hmm. medical student to have other people on the care team that have a wealth of experience that aren't directly evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, to ask uh... questions of. So oftentimes, if, you know, if my resident tells me, oh, can you you know, fax this to, to some outside hospital or can you do this or that? If it's something that I don't necessarily know how to do and if it's a resident that maybe I'm not at the comfort level with yet that I feel comfortable saying like, I have no idea how to do this very simple <laughs> thing that you just asked me to do. Uh, having other people there like nurses, like pharmacists, who know how the hospital works, who have, you know, a wealth of clinical knowledge, to, to mm-hmm. go to them and say, Hey, my resident just asked me to do this. Do you have any idea how to how I can do this? Um, <laughs> you know, and I think I, you know, universally, if you come to them from a place of humility, and a place of saying, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how to do this, you do, can you can you please help me, they have been universally, I've had universally positive uh, experiences, and they've been super helpful to me in my clinical training.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. You actually bring up such a great point. Um, like that the fact that they're not evaluating you, and it's like they're on your side still.
3: Yeah, I think that they, uh, they I mean, they they see us come every year, right? You know, for me, mm-hmm. I was only there there in the hospital for a year. Um, but these nurses, year after year, see each class of frightened terrified <laughs> inept medical students you know, <laughs> sort of ushered into the hospital and I, and I do think they they by and large uh like the the part of their job that is that is mentoring that is that is teaching them some of the ropes about how the hospital works uh ways to to get something done maybe uh more efficient uh or or, or better um so yeah for me it's been it's been a wonderful experience
0: so the next question for yeah. both of you actually so I know we've talked about this hierarchy and how it is beneficial to some degree, but could there be an alternative to the current system? Is there one that has the same amount of benefits as, you know, like the higher-ups definitely have the most experience, but without putting the medical students in a position where they feel afraid to even speak up about something?
2: Well, I, I, it's hard to imagine um, changing the system too much. I When... Uh... When I used to round on inpatients, um, I made a point of saying at the beginning of the, usually usually a month, um, anyone who feels uncomfortable, and this was addressed not just to the students, but to anyone, anyone mm-hmm. who feels uncomfortable with a case, with the care of a patient, or anything that's going on, please reach out to me, I would appreciate your doing that, or to my co-attending, mm-hmm. um, you will not be judged, um, nor will we prejudge what you're saying, but if if uh, the, another way I phrased it was to say, if there's scuttlebutt going on about care of patients or inter-team dynamics, and um, mm-hmm. I, I want to know about it, because that could be deleterious mm-hmm. patient care. So uh, that was one way of putting it on the table. Now, I that sounds all well and good. The, the number of times people came to me was probably only a few. <laughs> uh, but it, but I think at least by putting that out there, maybe it's somewhat helpful to say you're going to respect
3: mm-hmm. one who's going to uh, possibly challenge the hierarchy. Hearing something like that from an attending is great because even if even if nothing happens that you feel like you need to go to them about, just that sort of signifier saying, hey, I support a culture of people speaking out. I support a culture mm-hmm. of people feeling comfortable in the things they're doing Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. definitely puts trainees at ease. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, we've talked a lot about the negative aspects of the hierarchy, and certainly there are plenty, there are innumerable. (laughs) Um, But as a trainee, there are also, I will say, some positive aspects of the hierarchy, which is that when you're a trainee Mm -hmm. in the hospital, there's always someone who has your back. Um, If if Mm -hmm. ever, when I was a medical student on the wards, if ever there was something that I didn't feel comfortable doing, or I started doing, but then felt like I wasn't ready or wasn't, wasn't doing it correctly. There was always someone I could get to say, Hey, I, I know you asked me to do this thing, but I'm just not, I don't feel like I'm doing it right, or I don't know how to do it. And if you have a good resident or a good attending that you're working with, they will say, Oh, is it all here? Like, come to the patient's room. I'll show mm-hmm. you how to do it or I'll I'll mm-hmm. to ask. And then maybe next time you can try it and I'll, I'll come with you to the room, but then you can try it. Um, mm-hmm. so just, you know, having, having that security blanket of there's always sort of someone above you who has your back. If you ever feel like you're maybe a little bit in over your head, uh, at least mm-hmm. as a, as a trainee, um, was sort of very comforting.
1: So um, I guess next we just yeah. wanted to go a little bit more into like the book and the readings you sent us, Dr. Lerner. Um, So, starting off, like you mentioned, this concept of the third year conflict. Um, If you wouldn't mind, could you describe that conflict a little bit more and kind of where you came up with uh, that terminology?
2: Yeah, I think I was referring to um, the need of the third year medical student to learn uh, how to do procedures and how to. sort of stick their neck out and start taking care of patients on the one hand, mm-hmm. but also not being very good at it on the other hand, and not uh, often knowing what to do. And, and how do you as a third year student mm-hmm. keep that balance? Uh, and that uh, mm-hmm. one of the examples I, that, that is always given is doing procedures on patients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to, you know, you, you don't learn to draw blood or put in IVs or do lumbar punctures miraculously. Like one day you wake up and you know how to do it. There's a learning curve, which means there's gotta be a first time. There's gotta be a second time. And what do you do if you screw up? How many times do you try? And, Mm um, and it, and it's interesting because, you know, this gets into issues of hierarchy because, um, the answer to those questions for a medical student often is, well, what does the resident think? Mm-hmm. So I remember being put in situations where the residents were giving me a lot of leeway as when I was a student and saying, go do this, go do that. <laughs> it's a great opportunity, go. And I'd be like, <laughs> ah, because I was, I don't know how to do this. And, but if I, if I don't say yes, he's going to think I'm a weenie and he's not going to give me a chances. So I better do <laughs> it. But when do I call for help? Uh, that's yeah. got to be, that's got to be going on. I would imagine all the time still. And mm-hmm. e- each day in case is different, but um, certainly when it comes to hierarchy, and I, I don't think I was particularly good at this, but the, but the world has changed. And, you know, certainly what Shalem was saying about if, if you feel like you're in over your head you should always ask somebody for help uh, mm-hmm. that should be and that should be inculcated one mm-hmm. um, thousand percent you know at the beginning of any rotation or anything and and one of the other things i allude to in the in the in my book is the book the house of god which was sort of the bible of our residency program and you know, again, this was twenty, thirty, forty years ago, and and it was looked down upon at one point to ask for help, and mm-hmm. that's that right. that's bad. If you if you feel things are out of control and you need help, you got to ask. And the person who you're asking better appreciate the fact that you asked.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so, also again, talking about the book, you compare your experiences to your father's or generation before you. So, looking at it now, what would you say is the most striking difference that you've seen in medical education?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I think um, that the humility issue is, is is like we talked about before is is more important. I, I don't think um, these days. Going back to something Shalem was talking about before, and medical students and nurses. I, I certainly remember in my era. Some of my classmates sort of bouncing out on the wards and thinking they were hot stuff before, were, <laughs> and the nurse is not liking it very much. <laughs> told what to do by medical students, mm-hmm. um, and and I I think that that's probably been maybe among the biggest changes is that I think many fewer uh, students and and newly minted doctors behave in that sort of manner. I think that we've toned down that sort of macho image of of the medical student and and intern and replaced it with one who is more cognizant of the fact that there are other talented people around who who need to help guide you in your trajectory.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And then, I guess we wanted to uh, sort of finally end on a note of like, what can medical students do? So Dr. Lerner, if there is some sort of like inappropriate joke or comment or any situation where a student feels something is wrong, um, we know that you said that you make it a point to tell your teams that this is an open culture of feedback and you appreciate that. Um, But what do you think medical students can or should do um, in circumstances where that might not be
3: the case?
2: Shaylin, why don't you take this one first?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I think uh, definitely, assuming it's not sort of an imminent time sensitive thing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, exploring and utilizing the avenues that almost every school out there has for uh, anonymous reporting or anonymous feedback uh, Mm -hmm. definitely would be a good place to start Mm -hmm. if it's something that is you know, maybe a little bit more serious or maybe a little bit more time sensitive. Um, One thing that I found, at least when I was going through the wards is that, you know, there's some residents that you get to know and become friends with sort of more Mm -hmm. than others. And so finding a a resident or an attending who maybe isn't necessarily involved to say, Hey, I just want to run this by you. This is something that happened. Like, what do you Mm -hmm. think I should do? Do you think it's Mm -hmm. something that I need to speak out about? Or, you know, they might help gauge that for you. And then also, you know, depending on who they are and, and sort of the clinical context, they might also be able to help you um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: either speak to the resident or or speak to the attending about it. Um, but yeah, certainly for sort of non-emergent, like anything that, that wouldn't involve, um, you know, di- direct negative impacts to patient care, mm-hmm. I would say... Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't say anything maybe in the moment, but utilize sort of a number of other avenues to figure out, okay, Mm -hmm. how should I deal with this? What's the best way to deal with it? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, how do I move forward?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned uh, peer feedback and so did Dr. Lerner, and it's really great that it's so prevalent at most medical schools now to have that in place. But what do you do with doctors or attendings who aren't that open to receive such feedback?
3: I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough question. Uh, certainly there are attendings, I think probably at every single institution that (laughs) believe, you know, the way that I was instructed is the proper mode of instruction. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the new generation of medical students now, you know, think that it should be different, but really they're wrong. Like certainly you have people that are a little bit more entrenched in their ways. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think all you can do, is, at least as a medical student, is util- just keep utilizing those avenues for feedback and hope that the clinician cares enough about the med student feedback and what, you know, how they're perceived mm-hmm. by medical students to make a change. It certainly isn't going to work for every single attending. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, assuming it's not something like I said that's that's actually like directly impacting patient care um, and is not mm-hmm. sort of you know uh, broaching the lines of propriety into something like harassment um, mm, right. I think there you are medical students are sort of limited in the amount to which and honestly, I think medical schools to some extent are limited in the amount to which they can directly change the way that an individual attending likes to to teach, like if there's a surgeon who likes to ask very hard questions of his or her medical students in surgery, and Mm -hmm. is a little bit hard on those medical students when they get the questions wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a bummer as a medical student, certainly. Um, (laughs) It's not necessarily an enjoyable experience. But I don't know that there's much, you know, if that attending is, is very set on doing things in that particular way. Um, I'm not sure there's much that a student can do to to change that.
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, I can say a couple things. Um, So one is, uh, recall, since you're a medical student, you have other avenues available. So you have a dean of students, for example, and you have advisors. So I always encourage students who find themselves in uncomfortable clinical situations, if there's not avenues to pursue that like Shailen was saying, getting advice from other people—you always remember you're a student, and you can, there's people you can talk to, and they can possibly help you out. So that I wanted to make that point clear. Um, second, to make this a little more topical, you know, I think the biggest challenge today with respect to hierarchy is uh, that what we're being confronted with now regarding issues of diversity and Black Lives Matter. And Mm -hmm. the fact that at many, at most probably schools, not just medical schools, law schools across the country, there's lots of discussion way overdue of how, uh, well, to talk about medicine, both patients and and medical students uh, of color are uh, victims of, I don't love the term, but microaggressions in various ways. Mm And that these things often get brushed under the rug. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, that's an enormous challenge. And I consider myself you know, no expert at this, but I'm trying to learn about it. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do on rounds if uh, a patient of color is disrespected with respect to their race or something else? What do you do if one of your classmates who's black uh, gets mistaken for another black classmate, which mm-hmm. tragically happens all too often. Th- these are some of the really interesting challenges to hierarchy, because if one of the senior doctors is the person behaving in a way that you feel is racially insensitive, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? <laughs> That's, uh, right. and I think all med schools are confronting this now in very
3: important uh, ways, but it's very tough stuff.
1: Wow! Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and just to s-
3: sorry, just a s- second. What Dr. Okay. Lerner was saying when I when I said that there isn't much you could do as a medical student um, that that is not to say that you should not use, as Dr. Lerner was saying, all of the avenues available, like the dean of students, like the anonymous right. feedback forms. Absolutely advocate for change, uh, right. in your institution. Uh, right. But if you know if the attending here gets that feedback and doesn't care, then I think there's sort of li- as a student, your avenues are sort of limited in that way.
0: right, 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 of course.
1: so, Dr. Lerner, you're still involved in teaching. you're still involved mm-hmm. with students. You're still part of this like hierarchy, part of the system, mm-hmm. um, and with all of its like critiques that come about, um what mm-hmm. has kept you in it? What has like kept your love for teaching? Um, going
2: well, you know, like you guys. What you alluded to at the beginning is really true. It's it's been interesting to experience this first as a student, then as a, a resident, then as a young attending, and I was this old old fogey, you know. <laughs> the the uh, and see because it, it's first thing as a historian, it's interesting to see how times change. So part of the reason I wrote the book about my dad was because I was so struck. By the nature of medicine that he practiced, and which was so hierarchical, there used to be—you guys mm-hmm. probably know this. There used to be doctors' dining rooms, right? That only doctors uh-huh. go to. Doctors' parking lots. Uh, this was oh an idea there. so he they he parked in a <laughs> special spot, and they all ate together. And it was just because you know <laughs> why would doctors want to eat with anyone but doctors? Well, oh my God. That, okay. <laughs> Well, the good thing is like m- for the for a large part, I, those sorts of things have gone by the wayside to speculate as to why they did. But it's also cool for me to tell you that story and you guys didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. And th- it's good to know, but th- that there was a reaction to that. And people mm-hmm. said, you know what, it makes doctors look elitist. Um, it keeps them away from. Interacting with other people, they should interact with, and they're bad things. So we should mm-hmm. get rid of those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. what what keeps me interested is just seeing how things change over time. But at the at the same time, you get a lot of the issues that are are everlasting. Which is, you know, can you speak up to your superior? What do you mm-hmm. do if somebody puts a patient's life in danger? How are you going to respond?
0: Mm-hmm. Some of those
2: things never change, and. The answers may change a little bit, but the challenges are over there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Before we end, we just want to ask you guys both. Is there any last bit of advice that you want to give to medical students as they navigate this hierarchy um, throughout their next few years in medical school?
3: Uh, I guess uh, just briefly, I, I think going, going into the wards, knowing that most at least in my experience, most of the residents, attendings, nurses, uh, pharmacists, lobotomists that you'll meet as you go through your clinical rotations are amazing allies. Um, mm-hmm. they, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have had almost universally positive experiences with everyone that I worked with on the wards. The residents were super supportive. Attendings mm-hmm. were supportive. They, a lot of them buy in to changing medical culture. A lot mm-hmm. of them are, are big, You know, they went through training and they remember being in difficult situations and mm-hmm. they actively mm-hmm. don't want to put their medical students in those situations. Um, awesome. So just going in, knowing that by and large, the folks that you meet are gonna be your allies. And then if you find yourself in one of those situations, using those allies um, mm-hmm. and, and letting them help you uh, I think, is just a good thing to keep in mind as you venture uh, into the hospital.
1: Out of curiosity, did you ever rotate with Dr. Lerner?
3: Uh, I did not rotate with Dr. Lerner, uh, <laughs> but uh, Dr. Lerner teaches a number of the bioethics uh, mm-hmm. uh, seminars and, and coursework for our, so I, I knew of Dr. Lerner even before I got to the hospital.
1: Oh, <laughs> wow, okay.
2: Yeah, and Shailen, Sh- I Shailen's always helpful, like, whenever we're in Groups together and there's quiet and no one's talking. He always pipes up, so I'm <laughs> really appreciative. That uh, I I would just say to the to the last question, um, mm-hmm. a, a point that I always try to make: what what you guys are talking about is is so useful to bring up. Like Shailen was saying, you know, when when students are transitioning from the preclinical to the clinical years. Mm-hmm. You, to talk about this stuff and to give them some warnings about what they're apt to encounter is so important. But what we're really talking about is exceptions to the rule. Uh, most people, as Shaylin was saying, are get their roles, uh, like to work with other people, like to learn, when they're at the bottom of the barrel and like to teach when they're at the top of the barrel. So, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time everybody's looking out for everybody. And most importantly, everybody's looking out for the patients. But Mm -hmm. talking about these things is helpful because if and when you encounter something and you're like, oh God, what just happened? (laughs) What am I gonna do? You can think (laughs) back, well, you know, I heard this podcast. Really good. And they gave us some ideas or, you, or, you know, you, the school individual schools talked about it, and you're at least not so freaked out that you might be and you have some ideas about how you might carefully follow up on what you witnessed.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) No, I think you're already helping Swathi and I already feel better about going into rotations next year. So (laughs) (laughs) hopefully our listeners will feel the same. No, but we've really found your article and your book and especially now you and Shailen's time with us super informative. So thank you both so much for taking time to speak with us.
2: Good. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us.
0: So thank you all for listening to our interview with Dr. Lerner and Shailen. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was especially great to hear from both a student and a physician perspective of a hierarchy in the hospital and to see how it has evolved over Dr. Lerner's experiences. Yeah, I think we
1: can both agree that a lot of what Shailen said is already applicable even in our preclinical years with faculty and research mentors. So it was definitely reassuring to hear it from someone who has been through the process a little bit more than we have.
0: And before we close out, as always, we have a close the charts quote. And today's is from our interview with Dr. Lerner. Today's quote is... What you have to understand in
1: medicine is that ultimately people at the bottom of the barrel love to learn, and people at the top love to teach.
0: See you all next time!